Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. There's an upheaval in public education in Florida, from books being challenged and removed from classrooms to restrictions on what can be taught and rules around bathroom use, and a massive expansion in school vouchers, which families can use to pay for private education. The voucher expansion has been rocky. Delays to the disbursement of voucher money have disrupted some students' education, while the funding delay caused financial problems for some private schools. If they still are working on September, how in the world are we going to get November? That's what we're all very concerned with. That's Maria Preston, who runs the Diverse Ability Centre for Learning and Therapy in South Florida. Curriculum changes are shaking up schools too. In Pasco County, parents and teachers are protesting the school district's selection of a textbook by personal finance guru and radio host Dave Ramsey, whose advice includes mottos like, Debt is dumb, cash is king, and is peppered with biblical references. Credit cards are snakes. They're designed to bite you. They're not your friend, and you're not going to win. Well, we're joined by WUSF's Kerry Sheridan and Nancy Guan. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, Kerry, let's start with you. Get us caught up on the latest controversy around school curriculum. It's a debate over financial guru Dave Ramsey's textbook being proposed for Pasco County High School students taking a financial literacy class. So what's the latest? Pasco County's taken steps to approve a new textbook in financial literacy, and really they're following the state of Florida's lead on this. Uh, it comes just as the state of Florida is requiring a half credit in financial literacy for all those who are entering high school this year. So incoming freshmen are going to need a half credit in financial literacy in order to graduate. It's part of a larger push by the state of Florida to get uh, more knowledge of money, budgeting and basic things about managing your money and your life as an adult, which a lot of people do agree should be taught to kids in high school, teenagers before they're out on their own. So this textbook, however, by Dave Ramsey has generated some controversy in part because of Dave Ramsey himself and some of the content in the book, which leads to some larger questions about why the district is moving so fast to adopt a textbook for a course whose requirements really haven't even been fully rolled out yet by the state. So just remind us who Dave Ramsey is and, and why there has been that opposition over the school district's decision. And, and if you could outline some of the objections to the textbook too. Yeah, Dave Ramsey is a well-known radio host. He's written eight best-selling books. Millions of people tune into his show every week and hear people call in and tell him about the massive amounts of debt that they're in. He will offer financial advice to people on air. And people like to hear what he suggests. Dave Ramsey is also the CEO of Ramsey Solutions, which is a broader media company. It's also in the business of writing textbooks, and they're making a push for those textbooks to be used in schools. So some parents and teachers say they're finding problems with the Ramsey textbook, and they point to things like Ramsey himself is a Christian conservative. He's an evangelical. And there are six parts in the textbook that use Bible quotes to kind of back up certain points. So some parents feel that religion shouldn't be used in a public school textbook that way. There's also things like 
language that some people view as kind of disparaging, things like referring to people who are in debt as broke or busted, saying things like our grandparents felt that debt was a sin. Some parents really don't think that should be in a textbook. And it's important, I think, to point out that this textbook's been around for a while, and it was on a list maintained by the Florida Department of Education that was not approved for use in schools. And that just changed this year. They moved it over to the approved list just as this new course in financial literacy is being rolled out. But this may sound a little bit in the weeds, but it's important to understand, too, that this textbook is not necessarily approved for the new course. It's actually approved for an elective course that's ending. Okay, so some complexities there. And last week, Kerry, you attended a hearing over the textbook. Who was part of the debate? Who's making the final call? Has there been a decision taken yet? No. So what happened on Tuesday, there was a hearing held because now, according to Florida law, if parents or people in the community have an objection to a textbook, they can file written objections and and get a hearing. So in Pasco County, 57 people filed written objections to the Ramsey textbook. And at the hearing, only five came to speak. But, you know, it was held at 11 a.m. on a workday, so it's not possible for everyone to get there. The Pasco County School District came with a series of witnesses from the district, principals, assistant principals, administrators, and a lawyer. And they came to make the case that they had followed all the rules that they were supposed to follow. And it was all heard by a hearing officer who also by law has to be not in Pasco County himself. So it was a Pinellas County school board lawyer who gets to hear both sides and then he'll issue a decision in two weeks. We heard some tape from your reporting at that recent Pasco County school board meeting. What was the tone? I mean, you you mentioned some of the folks who the school board brought, but how fired up are people about this? How dug in are the supporters and opponents of this textbook and this decision? You know, I have to say, Matthew, it was interesting to be there because when you're in the room, you can see, yes, there's a lot of passion from the people who are objecting to it. They want the best resources available for children, and they want a good academically rigorous textbook to be used, and they don't want children to be indoctrinated. We hear this on both sides of the debate, don't we? And then you had the people from the district who were talking about they had followed the rules. They followed the policy. They did everything they were supposed to do. So kind of talking past each other there, it sounds like, Kerry, there's quite a lot of money at stake here, right? It's going to cost the school district a fair bit of money to buy and distribute this book and other materials to the students. What do we know about that? The Pasco County School District has confirmed to me that the cost that they've been quoted is $575,000 for the Ramsey textbook. Though they don't have an official contract or purchase agreement executed at this point, they're still waiting for the hearing process to play out. Yeah, that's what the numbers look like, almost $600,000 for the uh, five-year cycle of this textbook in Pasco County. Now, you've seen some documents about the review of this textbook, and those were revealed through a public records request. Let's just take a listen to a little more sound from your reporting. Here's Jessica Wright with the Florida Freedom to Read Project, and this is somebody you talked to about that records request. When I look through these documents, majority of the notes say does not meet or partially meets, which means they're saying that based off of the rubric and the criterion provided, they've said that this does not meet the overall standards. So tell us a little more about what 
was revealed in those records requests and also about this group Florida Freedom to Read project. Jessica Wright is a volunteer with the Florida Freedom to Read Project. She's a former Pasco County teacher. She's someone who writes curriculum in another district. So she's really very familiar with the ins and outs of how this all works. And she felt that it was important to know what the reviewers thought of the material that they were looking at when they approved the Ramsey book. So she made a public records request asking for those notes. And I was able to see the notes and the grids of where people voted and how they voted. There's a team of four people who review a textbook, and they consistently said the Ramsey book partially met or did not meet a series of academic criteria they're asked to assess it by. Now, they're not even reviewing it for the standards of the course. They're just saying, is it good? Is this a good book in this way, in that way, in other ways? So that was pretty interesting. And to see the handwritten notes of some of the reviewers, too, raising concerns about what they saw as bias, a textbook that was too slanted toward Ramsey's own personal views, that didn't have a lot of diversity of sources in it. They felt that it would fall short. And yet, this went ahead. So you can see the process of how that happened. You have the reviewing committee, and then it went to a vote from high schools. The high schools were not given the notes of the reviewing committees, but they were asked, okay, the reviewers narrowed it down to these two options. Which do you want? Seven of them voted for Ramsey, three voted for a competitor called Goodhart Wilcox, and four voted to wait. So then you have school districts versus parents looking at these numbers in different ways. The school district said, oh, that's a seven to three vote for Ramsey. It's Ramsey. And Jessica Wright and other people who are objecting are saying, no, actually, that sounds like seven for Ramsey, seven not for Ramsey. That's why they're questioning how this all went down. We've heard a little bit of what the Pasco County School District is saying about this. What about the Florida Department of Education? What are you hearing from them? The Florida Department of Education said, when I asked them why they moved the Ramsey textbook over from the not approved list to the approved list, they said the textbook publishers have a right to appeal and a chance to align their materials. Beyond that, we don't know how or if the Ramsey textbook is being aligned to the state standards. We don't know if it will align to the new course that's being rolled out. There are a lot of questions. But I also want to say that I found it interesting to be in that hearing and hear from one of the people who were on the reviewing committee for the textbooks. It was an assistant principal at Land O'Lakes High School, and he said that when I asked him afterwards, you know, they didn't ask you in the hearing what you thought of the book. They asked him, did you recommend this book? And he said, it wasn't our job to recommend a book. Our job was to narrow it down between two options and pass it forward. So even though he felt personally it wasn't a good enough book, the process allows it to move forward. Now, this debate over Ramsey's textbook, this isn't happening in a vacuum, right, Kerry? It's one of several debates over curriculum in Florida public schools. Some of this has been part of the regular statewide reviews of content in classes and textbooks. Others has been things like controversial laws passed by the Florida legislature, and then there have also been local challenges from parents and even school board members to remove or introduce some content from classrooms. It's quite a lot to unpack. I wonder if you could provide us a little bit of background to all of those curriculum changes in the state of Florida. Curriculum changes have been going on for years in Florida. A few years ago, we had debates over content and math textbooks and then social studies and then 
You know, more recently under Ron DeSantis as governor, we've had a series of new laws that have changed the way that teachers can discuss certain subjects in class. We have laws that have banned the teaching of gender identity and sexual orientation. There's the Stop Woke Act, which has brought into question a lot of the teaching of black history in schools and critical race theory and things like that. So, yeah, this is definitely part of a larger landscape. The State Department of Education this summer also gave the green light for elementary school teachers to use an online history video resource. So this is geared towards conservative values. Let's just take a listen to a sample from one of the PragerU videos. PragerU Kids is dedicated to teaching what most schools aren't, our American values, history, and blessings. So what can you tell us about PragerU, Kerry? PragerU is a company that is not a university, despite its name. It sounds like it might be Prager University, but it's Prager, the letter U. Like Dave Ramsey, it's headed by a conservative radio host named Dennis Prager, who's a Jewish man. And he has said publicly at a Moms for Liberty conference recently that his videos are meant to indoctrinate children with Judeo-Christian values. And some of these videos... I guess people who support them would say they offer a different perspective, like you heard that woman's voice saying these are perspectives that aren't offered in schools. But teachers and other analysts who look at them with a critical view are saying actually they're just conveying a bias. They're telling part of a story that can be political, it can be against climate change, it can be sort of shifting history. There are some people who take to YouTube and will tackle these videos bit by bit, and it's complicated. It's definitely not a clear cut, this is true, this isn't, because there is some truth to them. But they also sometimes skip over important facts. And these videos can be used in schools. The Florida Department of Education has said they are allowed to be used. Some districts have come out and said they will not use them, but it is up to a teacher's discretion. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're discussing the controversy over a decision by the Pasco County School District to approve a textbook by radio host and personal finance guru Dave Ramsey. When we come back, more on curriculum changes and how some families and schools are scrambling after delays to school voucher payments. Welcome back to Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. We're discussing big changes to school curriculum and controversy over the Pasco County School District's approval of personal finance guru and radio host Dave Ramsey's textbook. We're also talking about problems with the disbursement of private school voucher money, which left schools struggling to pay the bills and delayed some students' education. Let's get back to the conversation with WUSF's Kerry Sheridan, who covers K-12 education and health, and WUSF General Assignment Reporter Nancy Guan. Nancy Guan, I want to bring you into this conversation now. You've done some reporting too about a local group challenging PragerU. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so when the state first approved PragerU to be used in K-12 schools, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, or CARE, also called out PragerU's content for spreading Islamophobic ideas So CARE pointed to a study or fact sheet from Georgetown University that had reviewed a number of PragerU's videos and had stated that they do promote these Islamophobic tropes. So as a result, CARE was calling on the State Department of Education to reject the curriculum in schools. I think the president or the leader of CARE Florida said that PragerU's videos, quote unquote, vividly spread anti-Muslim rhetoric and beyond that, even conspiracy theories. 
but the response from the state said that the Department of Education had reviewed the videos and found that it aligns with state education standards. And just to clarify again, this doesn't mean teachers have to use PragerU videos in classrooms, but they have the option to, it's at their discretion. But a lot of critics say this opens the door for right-wing ideas and in some cases, disinformation to be taught in schools. So a lot of people are worried. Carrie, just back to you for a moment, thinking back on the Ramsey textbook issue and also the story about PragerU that both of you have reported on, what does this all mean for students and for teachers? It's really interesting times in Florida, Matthew, for students and teachers. I think teachers want to give their students the best education they can, and they are under increasing scrutiny over how they do that and what they say and what they can use to teach. So I think being in that hearing was really informative to me too, though, because I realized that Hearing teachers say, we have to teach a new course, we don't have a textbook to teach with. So they have to compile lessons and curriculum from different sources, relying on district leaders who are specialists in that to do that. But if they had a textbook to use at least part of the time, it would help. And knowing that sometimes, even increasingly often perhaps, the textbooks aren't up to the level that teachers would like them to be is just another challenge on top of so many other challenges with increasing workloads, all kinds of things that teachers are facing. So it is definitely a challenging time. Now, parental rights and choice have been a priority education issue in Tallahassee for years, and that's also behind a massive shift of students to private and charter schools. This past year, a law passed that is creating a seismic change in this area. Nancy, you've been reporting on the school voucher expansion. Just remind us why this voucher expansion was such a big deal and how many more students are now being funded with public education dollars to attend private schools. So just to review, private school vouchers, they're essentially scholarships for students to use towards private school tuition. Each student receives about $8,000, give or take, depending on the county they live in. And it's a big deal because it's the largest expansion of private school vouchers in state history. Prior to the expansion of the program, it was geared towards lower income students and there was a cap to how many vouchers could be given out. The expansion got rid of the income requirement and cap and it opened up the program to virtually all K through 12 students in Florida. So supporters of the expansion, they believe that this would give more students the opportunity to attend private schools of their choice. Like you said earlier, school choice, it's part of this um, larger movement happening in the education system. There's this push for more choices for parents and their kids. But when the expansion passed, it was hugely controversial. Opponents of the law, especially advocates for stronger public education, they were worried that this would lead to a quote-unquote exodus of students from the public school system and therefore less funding going towards public schools. School budgets, they rely largely on student enrollment, so if a student chooses to leave the public school system and go private, this district loses out on that funding. This school year, we've definitely seen a significant increase in the number of students who've applied for private school vouchers. About 100,000 or more students who were awarded vouchers this year than last year, totaling to around almost 350,000 students. In some counties, we've seen the number of applicants for these vouchers double before the school year started, including in Hillsborough County. 
But I think people are still trying to figure out whether or not we're seeing that major shift from public to private that people were fearing. You know, Step Up for Students, which is the main voucher distributor for the state, according to them, they distribute about 99% of the vouchers. They've pushed against the idea that there would be this exodus. They've been publishing voucher data periodically. And according to them, they say that a majority of these new voucher recipients have already been attending private schools and a much smaller portion are students coming from public schools. So we won't really know the true number of students and dollars going to private education. It's still kind of early. It's the beginning of the school year. Schools are still waiting to see how many students who received the vouchers will actually attend private schools. So a lot of districts, they're looking towards the October enrollment count for a more official number on enrollment as well. Now, that rollout, as some people were anticipating before the start of the school year, hasn't been completely smooth. What sort of problems have cropped up for students and schools? The expansion has had a pretty rough start. A few weeks into the school year, there was a pretty big public outcry from families and private schools about delays to their voucher payments. People were posting on social media and talking to news outlets, including WUSF, about how they hadn't received voucher funds yet, despite needing the money for tuition. I spoke to a couple of private school owners, and they said that they hadn't seen this much of a delay before in previous years. And a lot of the complaints they had to do with not being able to get a clear answer either from Step Up or the State Department of Education. Both entities, they did issue a statement a week later, but a lot of families and private school owners felt that they were being ignored or sidelined. They were being bounced back and forth between Step Up and the state while this was happening. But most of all, the late payments, they had created sort of a domino effect. You know, some parents, they weren't able to send their kids to some private schools. They needed these funds to pay for certain services. They weren't able to do that. You actually talked to some private schools which didn't get the money in time. And I want to just play a little bit of tape. Here's Lauren Smutko, who you talked to. She's the assistant to the principal at Morningstar Catholic School in North Tampa, and they only just saw the voucher money come in after weeks of delays. Let's just take a quick listen to that. We were down to like the last week. We were looking at making payroll or not making payroll, and and we weren't going to make payroll, and then it came in. So it was a huge relief. So I guess an indication of some of the stress that this delay has been causing, not just for the students and their families, but also for schools. So how have private schools in the greater Tampa Bay region been coping with the money not coming through? It depends on the school you ask. Some schools with more resources and extra funding, they were able to keep themselves afloat throughout this situation. Other smaller private schools, you know, with less in the reserves, they had faced a lot more challenges. So I've heard from some schools that they weren't able to pay rent, so they were facing eviction notices in some cases. Some school operators, they were dipping into their own money to keep the schools operating as well. And does that mean, given some of the challenges you've described for those private schools, are they worried about their security for the future if they're relying on that money to keep their lights on and their doors open? 
they're definitely worried about that. Throughout the delay, a couple of private school operators, they had gotten together on a Zoom call and they've basically formed a community to you know, talk about these issues and maybe work out some of these issues. Since then, communication has gotten a lot better between Step Up and the private schools as well. That's what I've heard. Kerry, I want to come back to you for a moment. We've been talking about school vouchers and curriculum changes, and these are just a couple of the big changes in public education in Florida. How are students, teachers, and parents coping with all of this? There are a lot of changes going on. I've talked to high school students in Sarasota who told me that they feel the pressure that their teachers are under, and they don't feel that they're being indoctrinated. They want to learn about these broader social issues that are facing the world, and they don't want to be censored or told that they can't read certain books. The children that I have met, and teenagers, young adults, they want a good education. So they do definitely feel the impact of this, and they see teachers who feel that they have to stifle their own speech or be careful of treading around certain things, but it doesn't mean any of those things go away or that they aren't talked about in other ways. Nancy, along with your reporting on the school vouchers, you've also been covering pay negotiations in Hillsborough County, and it's probably a good reminder that amidst all of these changes to education, teachers are still struggling with the same challenges that they always do, which is pay and conditions, and school districts are still trying to hire enough staff. What's your sense of how all of this is affecting teachers? Teachers are definitely struggling under all of these pressures. You mentioned pay, which has been an ongoing issue and more recently legislation that's been passed that kind of restrict teachers on what they can discuss in classrooms and all of that has affected them. On top of that, there's the ongoing teacher shortage because some teachers are leaving the profession due to all of these pressures. So some of the educators I've spoken with describe the situation as a death by a thousand cuts. A lot of them became teachers because they had a passion for it, and they still do, but they don't feel supported or comfortable in this political environment. And especially after the pandemic, a lot of them say that they've had to do more with less. And because salaries aren't matching up to that amount of work, ultimately some of them are choosing to go into other fields with better pay or with better work-life balance or even teach in another state. I want to ask both of you what you're going to be looking out for as you continue to report on these critical education stories in the greater Tampa Bay region. Nancy, what are you going to be paying attention to in the weeks and months ahead? Yeah, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on the teacher vacancy numbers. Another thing to look out for is how many teachers are choosing to leave the profession earlier because I've heard from a lot of unions that turnover is increasing. So we're not getting as many tenured teachers in school districts. And then also just seeing how people choose to adapt to these new laws. There's definitely a lot of confusion right now, but we're also hearing about students and teachers that are slowly trying to find ways to still create a safe space in classrooms, despite all of the hardships and still choosing to stay in schools. Kerry, what are you going to be paying attention to as you continue to report on these issues? We've been talking about money in schools and political influence. There's so much of that nowadays, even in schools where people don't want politics to be involved, it is. Uh, There's very big money in curriculum adoption. There are people who want their viewpoints taught in schools. So politics and money in schools is a topic that we'll have to be following over the coming months and years. We have been speaking with WUSF's Kerry Sheridan, who covers K-12 education and health. Thank you so much. Thank you, Matthew.
And Nancy Guan, general assignment reporter for WUSF, has been following the school voucher rollout in the Tampa Bay region. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you for having me. And you can find reporting from Nancy and Kerry on school vouchers, curriculum changes and more on our website, wusf.org. Medicare enrollment season is here and Florida Matters wants to hear from you. What do you need to know to make sure you're getting the coverage you need? Email your questions, concerns and comments to floridamatters at wusf.org. That's our show for this week. We're on social media. Look for Florida Matters on Facebook. You can find past shows online at wusf.org and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Steve Newborn, production assistance for this episode from Mary Shedden. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.